There's no such thing as magic. Episode 165. The moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Every time Catherine revved up the microwave, I pissed my pants and forget who I was for a half hour or so. It's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. I'll be there in 10. Is this a five-minute argument or a full half hour? You have 30 minutes to move your car. Your car. You have 30 minutes to move your cube. Your cube. You are listening to a half hour wasted. Bill's back. So much for the short show. Hello, Bill. Bill, welcome well, back. That explains things. That explains things. No, your mic's up. What? My mic's up? Yeah, there it is. Why can't I hear By the myself way, here? Maybe it's because I've got three pairs of uh, headphones in right now. Yeah, you know, when you... I've got those in-ear uh, headphones in there right now to uh Oh, listen that's right. You do iPod. have... And then I've got uh, the regular bud earphones in to listen to my computer, and I've got the over-the-ear headphones in to listen to the show. What's he doing? What's on his screen right now? Look at uh, it. What is it? Oh, I am Facebook. I'm personally embarrassed. And uh, I'm putting Steve Englehart. It's about to be on HHW. Nice. And uh, that's, that's yeah. Actually, we're getting ready to. La- last I heard, that's actually true. So yeah, uh, we're getting ready to call him. We're pretty excited about that. Welcome to. Unless he gets his AM's FM mixed or AM's PM's mixed up. Episode 165? Yes. Of a half hour wasted. He does know we were going to call him at uh, 7 p.m., right? You know, you guys are the one that was doing that. It wasn't me. That's a good point. It's hard um, to argue yes, that. no. No, I actually, I was the one to email him, wasn't it? Yeah. You guys were know. talking about something else. I'm confused. I'm cross-eyed. Um, let's see. There was something I was going to bring up real quick. Um, oh, goodness. What was it? Oh, Harold Janet yes. is ready to... Hang, hang on a second. Harold Janet. There you go. <laughs> okay, thanks. Hey, Harold. Harold Janet was um, very excited to hear that he was honorary quad host. Artist nice. Harold Janet. Yeah, I don't, but I don't know if, oh. you, if you read the boards at all. And Harold, just want to let you know that um, I don't like competition. I am going to hunt you down and um, uh, maybe kill you. So Wow. Just, uh, That's dangerous. We'll see. That's he was... Uh, I might, I might I mean, just decide I'm <laughs> too lazy to do that. Actually, chances are pretty good. I'm gonna try to find the uh, try to find the thread on that. Let's see, here it is, right here. So let me tell you what I built up an awful lot of stories uh, in the week I've been off. So where do you want me to start? Hang on, Uh, towards the end. What? Like the last five minutes? Dude, I've got a lot of good stories. Uh, Trusty. Actually, uh, can I start? Can I start with this one? Sorry, if it's that towards the end. My wife is so cool. How cool? Did you know that? My wife is. My wife is. How cool. cool is she? The professor. First of all, she's got a nickname like the Professor. That's got to that's got to count for something in this crazy world of ours. Right. Um, I'm getting ready Your to uh, come home. Hot, man. Thank you. I'm getting ready to come home from the uh, from the conference today, mm-hmm. and uh, we can get into that later if you want um, or not. But um, I get a text message from the lady, and um, she says the text message reads in its entirety: "On your way home, get beer and cleaning supplies." Sounds like a party. All right. Anybody, you guys ever seen True Romance? One of the greatest movies of all time? No. Tony no. Scott, Quentin Tarantino? No. Christian okay. Slater, Gary Oldman? Oh, wait, I did see it. 
Rosetta, no. uh, Christi, you know, Arquette. wasn't Brad Pitt Patricia in that? Ar- Patricia Arquette. The yes, Patricia, Patricia Pitt. The no, Patricia that's, Arquette character. That's Brad Pitt's her name line. Is Alabama? I and, uh, yes. Or, okay. And she tastes like a peach. She, according to Dennis Hopper, that character is mentioned briefly in Reservoir Dogs. Really? That that specific character. I had no idea. Yeah. She, as, of course, she's not in the movie as a real right. person, Dog. or as as a as the a reference to the character a movie Georgia. That the, so, uh, are those movies supposed I to happen mean, in the same universe? No, if they exist, it, if one would mention it, then you would you would think so. Yeah, I don't. So they 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 live in the same universe. Yeah, Rhode huh. Island. You know what the first question yeah. so is? So anyway, uh, that Brent. I'm gonna that I'm gonna ask uh, mm-hmm. Steve Englehart when we call him in a couple minutes. No, this right here. How much do you make a year? That's what I'm asking. <laughs> that'll be uh, that'll be good form. No, so uh, yeah, so she references uh, True Romance. Again, written by Clint Tarantino. And that line was actually uh, spoken by uh, Brad Pitt. Um, yeah, and I won't describe the scene that uh, accompanies that. Is there murder? Afoot? No, no. There's What's a moida? Let's just say there's just relaxation and okay. stuff. Um, hmm. Harold Jennett was <clears throat> posting as he was listening to episode 163. Oh, that's right. Harold. He says, Harold. just heard the intro. I'm scared. Frowny face. Uh, and then he says... Uh, Thought this was going to be a, if you think you can do better, come on the show thing. Now I feel bad. (laughs) Bill, I love you. Hey, Brad, when do I start? (laughs) Then the next uh, post is, Bill, I listened more than once, and it's safe to say that Brad and Frank interrupted more than you did. I appreciate that. Half Hour Wasted is now syndicated for another season. I don't know what that last comment means. I don't know. I guess I mean it's maybe syndicated on his uh, <laughs> on his feed. The yes. reason that we interrupted more than Bill is because we read your email. Harold, put him in his place. Harold, they Jared. were just trying to prove you wrong. <laughs> anyway, but you were right. So hey, this episode works. Of Half Hour Wasted is um, sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service. Delicious, just like always, and we thank you. The only comic book shortest, service to use. Shortest sponsor in the world. DCBService.com. I thought now, Gary Coleman was the shortest <clears throat> sponsor in the world. Is he a sponsor wow, for someone? I'm sure he is. AA, maybe. Someone at AA. Um, it's about that time. Didn't he, like, pass on or something? Is he dead? I don't know. My first my first uh, reaction was to say, isn't it too soon for that? But uh, Gary Coleman <laughs> dead. We'll get to the bottom of this, and we'll do it right now. <laughs> I wrote his gay Kerwin bed. I don't have my typing. My typing thing is gone. Man, it's almost time. <laughs> All right, and Yahoo time, answers. It, there's a question. Is Gary Coleman dead? Let's see what Yahoo answers has to say. <laughs> Someone asked, I was looking up something about Gary Coleman on Wikipedia, and it says he died yesterday, December 20th. I haven't seen anything about on the news about it. Best answer. It's a bit wordy. I think you're confused. I read... I read the page you linked to, and there's no information about the death. Which he means, I, and, he and means again, ha- it, and then again, it's it's Wikipedia, so you know it can be edited. He real means time. Harry Bowman instead of Gary Coleman. It was uh, Harry Bowman. That wouldn't be the first time Wiki has made that <coughs> horrible mistake. Uh, that, Wiki, Wiki is everyone that libelous nobody. mistake. Way back in episode number sixty-six, we spoke to a very prolific comic book author named Steve Englehart. He's not dead. No, who's not dead. And we talked to him specifically about Luke Cage Hero for Hire. Yes. And uh, he has something new out, so we are going to... Something new and something old, actually. Yeah, at the same time. Mm -hmm. So does that make it 
Yes. What does that do if you got something new and something old? Does I don't that know. make it? No, kinda... I mean, he's going to get married soon. I'm wondering if he's about to produce something blue next. I was going to say, wonder if he has something blue and, and something if used, he's borrowed something. It? Borrowed something. So let's call him because really it's idea. time for us to do that. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to be over here um, playing uh, solitaire. Uh, I don't think my computer has that. All right, I don't have go. a very good computer. I hate my cough, and okay. I hate my, my allergies. I hate it for you, because you deserve better Hello. than that. Steve? Yeah. Hey, this is Brad, Frank, and Bill from Half Hour Wasted. How are you? Hey. I'm good. Steve, thanks for joining us. Uh, we uh, had such a great time talking to you last time. That was episode 66, and uh, this is episode 165, so about 100 episodes ago, wow. we spoke to wow. you. <clears throat> And that, and that was a fun show too, if you recall. We were we were really into the uh, throes of of Luke Cage and and uh, Sweet talk, Christmas, yeah, and yeah. talking about that uh, that first uh, that that first showcase. And, or not, you I'm must sorry. crank these things out because it, uh, it doesn't seem like it's been a hundred of anything <laughs> since then. No, it doesn't seem like. Actually, it. we do one a week, so what is that's uh, what? Weeks? And it's been long enough. That that's what two years? I two wasn't. Years? Yeah, I wasn't wow. a regular member of the cast back then. I literally forced my way in to the podcast that night because i knew they're going to be talking to you and mm-hmm. i wanted in on that right i remember you were into luke cage it was yeah. beautiful bill has uh ever since bill got promoted to first uh to full timer uh our show uh has doubled in length so and um mostly my fault <laughs> i have to beg your pardon i have a i have had a cough for about five weeks that i just can't shake and uh, it's aggravated by me talking, of all things. That's ironic. Have you have you seen a doctor about this? I have, so, and I'm. He uh, was waiting for the health care bill to kind of, kind of <laughs> go through, <laughs> and so now he's good. Yeah. Yes, I I have seen a doctor. He thought it may be due to uh, acid reflux, so he put me on an acid reflux oh, pill. Oh no. He put me on an allergy pill, and I think it's allergies because I'm always sniffing always and swallowing and whatnot. That's we're not here to talk about this, but um. I'm trying to apologize ahead of time for making all kinds of strange noises. Yes. Okay. Me too. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right. You wanted to talk about, as the, as Frank put it earlier in our episode before we called you, something new and something old. I guess that's true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> why don't you um, Why don't you tell us what what uh, you got uh, out right now? By the way, I'm over halfway through the Point Man. Okay. And uh, so go ahead and tell us what, uh, I'll just say, The Point Man and The Long Man. Man. What are these? Well, The Point Man is a novel that I wrote back in the late, right at the end of the 70s, right after I did the original Batman stuff with Marshall Rogers. The next thing I did was write The Point Man, a novel for Dell, that Dell published it. Um, And I got a contract to do another book that I was going to, I was going to make The Point Man a one-shot, and the next book was going to be a completely different book, and I ended up designing games for Atari and never wrote a second novel. <laughs> what games did you design? Wow. Well, I worked you know, I worked on a bunch of stuff, but, but little of it got out the door. I worked on a Garfield game. I worked on an E.T. game. Um, so Mike that, Barr that, actually came through with Camelot 3000. They wanted to turn that into a game. It never happened. But uh, What system of, of Atari are we talking about? Are we talking about the, the classic 2600, that first gen, or is it the uh, other year? The 5200. Or 5200. 5200. The, uh, well, the computer is what I was working on. Okay. They, wow. 
because they had, you know, there was the computer and there was the game machine. And, yes. uh, and uh, I always need to explain the E.T. game I worked on was the one for the computer, which is not the one that they dumped in a landfill in yes. Arizona. I, I, was about to, I was about to say, Bill, that, and I was, and, and was going to apologize about this. That was a horrible game, and I'm glad you had nothing to do with it. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, every time I sell, tell that story, I have to explain that because the, the computer version or the, uh, the game machine version of E.T. was just a horrible game. Yeah. And, and it, you know, there's many of them holding up Arizona. <laughs> so that's, that's a true story? That's not a that's not an urban legend? Or, or, no, or, no, it's a true story. They, oh, they filled a truck, and they drove it to Arizona and dumped it in a landfill. I hate to be a dum-dum, wow. but w- what are you guys talking about? Um, uh, it's funny because, Bill, uh, Steve, we, we brought this up just the other day. I was talking to a friend just the other day about this particular game. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was a game based on the movie E.T. in that 8-bit type of graphic right. format uh, right. made for the Atari system. And it came with no directions. And for <laughs> no. the life of me, you could not figure Seriously? out what... Yeah, you could not figure out what this game was about. I mean, it, the the point of it made no sense. No directions. So it wow. was like the... Uh it was like the uh, the the virtual city and uh, the very underwhelming uh, Caprica. Tell you what, you, the... did, you just kind of walked around. You, you went from screen left to right. And you you would be in another room and stuff like that. And the one thing a friend and I were able to figure out was there was always a little dot on the floor, and when you'd walk by it, and it'd disappear. We finally realized that was a Reese's piece that you yes. were supposed to be collecting. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We had we had Reese's pieces in our games too. Yeah. Oh, that I just, love Reese's. That sounds yeah. terrible. So you were, you were designing games for Atari. Yeah, I was doing that, and you know, and and after um, Atari got sold uh, and they fired all of us, that's when I came back to comics and did uh, Vision Witch and West Coast Avengers and, and and Green Lantern Corps stuff like that. But so that was the era. Um, but in any event, so I wrote this novel, this one shot novel, and it was basically. It was all the magic stuff that I couldn't do in comics in Doctor Strange. I um, had been angling Doctor Strange toward more realistic magical stuff, tarot and and the devil. I mean, you know, realistic is a relative concept in all this, but trying to get at some things that were a little less fantastic than the Dread Dormammu. uh, And in any event, I couldn't where I couldn't go in comics was sex magic, which is a lot of the energy that gets used in magic is basically the same energy that gets used in sex and you just redirect it. Um, I mean, I'm just, I'm just quoting the, the books here, whatever, but, uh, <laughs> is this is kind of wait, like, suddenly I'm very fascinated. Is Continue. this like directing yeah. your, your chi? Because I, I saw seriously, I saw yeah. a, uh, um, a special on, I think it was Nat, uh, national geographic, uh, not long ago called fight science. And yeah. these people are doing these things that should be impossible. I mean, literally doing like Batman jumps off the second floor of a building, doing mm-hmm. a flip in the air, landing on their feet, and they're good. You know? Yeah. And uh, this, uh, this one guy, um, he was, uh, I believe he was Shaolin, but um, his superpower basically was that he could direct his chi to a part in his body and basically make it impenetrable. I'm trying yeah. to remember they called it the, the breast of steel or something. It was something in that vein. And he um, uh, ends up, it's not a sharp end spear i mean it's not you know you're not going to cut you know a tomato with it or anything like that um Mm -hmm. but the end also was not blunt either and he uh he spends a moment or two directing his chi up into his throat area and then he leans this um uh the tip of the spear but an eight foot spear into 
uh, his clavicle, uh, uh, well, right above his clavicle, resting right there on that little, that little you know bit underneath your Adam's apple. So he was actually mm-hmm. pressing into his larynx, and then he ends up pushing forward on this thing, and they've got a, a meter on it that measures. It's you know there's a hundred pounds of force on it. There's two thousand pounds of force in this thing, and then the uh, the coot to Gracie is uh, his helper. Smashes a uh, <laughs> smashes a bow stick over his back while he's doing this, and he's he's bending this what may have been bamboo is wood of some sort, but this the spear is literally bent like a banana, um, mm-hmm. and and he's just you know it it's pressing into his throat. The doctor lady who's uh, monitoring all this says, you know, is our our understanding of physics and science and, you know, biology suggests to us this shouldn't be possible. You know, that there's just too much force in one concentrated spot for it not to just, you know, fire all the way through the guy's neck. All right. So, anyway, um, yeah, so... Well, no, that's... Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned Chi. I mean, that's why I came up with the name Shang-Chi for the Master of Kung Fu. I mean, it's the, it's all using that same uh, energy. And, and um, anyway, but it, you know, but... Uh, Western magic tends to get it out of sex, the energy of sex, and that was not anything I could get much into in Doctor Strange. So I wrote The Point Man at, at long last to basically kind of tie off everything I had to say about magic that I couldn't say in comics and then go on to something else. Um, so that was The Point Man. That was written about 1980, and it was a one-shot. And then uh, several years ago now, I thought to myself, I just, uh, well, there's, there's a story as to how I, uh, how I came to think of this, and I talked about it in an email thing that I sent out to everybody, but that won't do the people on this podcast much good. <laughs> um, uh, several years ago, DC asked me to do more Batman, and people kept asking me, well, you know, is it hard to go back and do batman again when you haven't done him in 25 years and i my honest answer was wasn't hard at all i mean it had been 25 years there was no question it had been 25 years and yet in my brain there was no time that had passed at all i mean i they were right where i left them i knew who they were i knew what i wanted to do with them all that sort of thing that made me think just about that time frame, the the late 80s, uh, I mean the late 70s, early 80s, um, and it made me think of uh, the hero in The Point Man named Max August. In The Point Man, there had been a guy who was an old immortal, um, and I thought to myself, what if the hero of The Point Man, 30-year-old Max August, had become immortal a few years after this? and thus had stopped aging a few years after this in the early 80s, he would now, you know, 25 years, whatever, would have passed, but he would not have aged. Um, and all this, out of that, I started to see a lot of possibilities. Um, basically, stories about immortals usually are about guys who are really old, and I thought, here's a young guy who's just now sort of, and now that the 20 years have passed, he's getting to the point where all of his friends can recognize that he's not getting any older. And so, you know, you're into that immortal dilemma, immortal's dilemma of, uh, you know, how do you, how do you go on year after year and not get discovered? And, and this is the first time that he would be sort of facing that problem. And I thought, 
in the traditional stories, what you do is you, you know, you disappear and you move to a state, you know, a time zone over and just start over again. But after 9-11, it's not that easy to just sort of drop out of the system and drop into the system as it, you know, I mean, there's more, there's more regulation and, and surveillance and everything of what you're doing than there was when Immortals first started this whole thing. So I started to see that there were a lot of uh, interesting things to play with. Um, and that eventually led to the book The Long Man, which um, I wrote in the last couple of years. And when I wrote The Long Man, which is the sequel 25 years later to The Point Man, uh, same guy, very little has changed outwardly for him, although a lot has changed inwardly since he's become immortal and, and mastered a lot of the stuff that he was just stumbling onto in the first book. Um, but again, time has changed drastically. I mean, we're in a very different society, a different situation in the world, all that kind of stuff. And yet here's this guy who's basically, we saw him in 1980. I didn't write some story and say, here's an untold story about this guy back in 1980. No, I wrote it then, and it's, and it's, and it's accurate for the time. And then here's another one that's 25 years later, and it's the same guy. So I wrote The Long Man not thinking that The Point Man would be republished. Uh, I mean, it was it came out 25 years ago. Um, so the long man stands on its own. Um, but then we went out to sell it, and Tor Books, uh, the fantasy people, uh, liked it and and gave me a contract for four books. Actually, so there's oh, wow. there's two. Congratulations. Yeah. So there's thank you. So there's two more after this. Um, Good. And I mean, so and they're republishing, and they did republish the point man. So to bring this whole story home. The Point Man is out now uh, as a tour book, and The Long Man is out now as a tour book. Um, and as I say, there's two more in the pipeline, at least, hopefully. So. That's, wow. That's awesome. Um, is it your desire to continue this series, or do you think you might uh, branch into something else? I'd like to do both. Um, I do really like the idea the whole immortal thing of the guy passing through time. I mean, the long man, when I wrote the point man, it was just sort of contemporary, but it happened to be around 1980. And I've now decided that it took place in 1980 for the sake of being able to figure out time frames. And the, and the long man takes place in 2007. It's sort of there. And, and the book after that called the plain man, which will come out sometime next year, but it's set in 2009. Oh, wow. Um, okay. The one after that, which I'm writing right now, is set in 2011, which hasn't happened yet. Okay. Uh, which is an interesting, which is an interesting thing to do. I'm writing an entire novel, and then and then when I get to 2011, I'll be you know adding stuff. But each book is, um, in a sense, it's a snapshot of the time. I mean, uh, I talk about the pop music of the time, the politics of the time, the sports of the time. So that we see each one of these books is set in a different time. You yeah. know, it's not just some sort of nebulous contemporary time where, you know, uh, no, I mean, time is going by. We see that. And yet this guy doesn't age because he doesn't. But everybody else around him does because time is going by. So um, that it seems to me the longer I can do that, the cooler it gets, you know. I mean, that the guy, Max August, is is sort of 
as I put it at one point, he stepped off the people mover. Everybody else is moving along in time, but he's standing to the side. And so I would like to write this, and having now come back to magic after 25 years, um, I see a lot of stuff beyond, you know, years ago I said I only have one thing to say and I'm going to say it and I'm going to get out of here, but now I see a lot of things that I'd like to like to uh, cover, and that being said, that aren't that that's not the only ideas I've got. So yeah, I do have other ideas and would hope when I get a little more uh more of this under my belt to you know, to maintain the series and also do other things uh in addition. But uh at the moment, uh the transition transition from I'm, you know, again, I'm not. I'm not just a comic book writer. I've written games, and I've written anime. You know, I've written a bunch of different stuff, and I'd written a novel. But uh, turning into a full-time novelist has been a, a transition, a fun transition. But it's definitely been, you know, kind of reshaping the way I look at stories. You know, I mean, I'm not looking at them as uh, 20 pages, get in, tell a story, and get out. Now I'm looking at 350 pages and and making that work as you know in and of itself so um i was just telling somebody last night that i as i'm writing this next book um now it's beginning to seem sort of you know this is what i do as opposed to this is what i'm turning into so i'm it's a little easier to contemplate um doing this and then doing some other things too so. i'm uh, i'm over halfway through the point man Mm-hmm. And I'm enjoying it, and I, you know, started reading it, not aware that it had a copyright of 1981. Um, mm-hmm. I knew that it was a a reprint of an of the first in the series. I'll say it that way, but I right. hadn't I hadn't yet looked at the copyright. So I'm reading it, and the main character Max, he's a disc jockey, and I was wanted to right. be a, I was wanted to be a disc jockey when I was growing up. Who didn't? An yeah, AM man. disc jockey. <clears throat> yes. <Nice. laughs> That, and uh, that's what tipped me off. He worked for an AM contemporary uh-huh. music station. I okay. thought there's something different about what's going on here. And then mm-hmm. I, I, as uh, as the story goes, there's more descriptions of, like you said, of the politics of the time, of the celebrities of the time, and then. And I that was all. Yeah, that was all without any long-term plan. That just seemed like the right thing to do, but it turns out to fit into the long-term plan. Yeah. You know? Um. And then I looked at the copyright, and it's 1981, and I said, oh, well, this makes sense. Now, there's a, there's a, I can't remember which chapter it is or how far into what I've already read there is, but he, Max goes into this room of somebody's house, and they've got all this audio equipment. Spoiler alert. And yeah, and you describe all this audio equipment, and the denouement of the description is that he's got like uh, several. Yeah. High-end cassette decks. Nice. Tell me he has yeah. a Lawrence receiver. Yeah. But, yeah, and it, it nice. is. And I thought, wow, this is like I was born in 1969, so I was 11 years old in 1980. I remember yeah. 1980, mm-hmm. and so this was like taking me back. Oh yeah, that's right in our wheelhouse. I'm, oh, I know. I'm I'm one year older than Brad, so yeah, I'm 12 in 1980. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm enjoying this uh, this novel a lot. Um, I can't wait to read the next one, and I'm glad that there's two more because I really have started to like Max August as a character. I, I like him a lot, 
And cool. Thank uh, you. I'm a, I'm uh, I kind of you know read the description of the long man on the on the book, so I kind of knew after reading that that somewhere either I couldn't tell if it was happened during the point man or in between the two books that he became he immortal. Became. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. I'm really uh, intrigued. And, you know, I, magic was never my thing. I never read Doctor Strange. Bill's a huge Doctor Strange fan. Yes. Um, so magic or the occult or whatever you want to say, you know, all, it's all tangentially related. None of that really uh, floated my boat probably until, and I realize this is kind of a stretch, but, you know, Indiana Jones and some of those stories mm. kind of skirted that. There were several... Um, novels that were written uh after the third movie came out um most of them the first six that were written built on each other and and it's the author skirted through through magic a lot in those and so with that and um oh angels and demons which was a great book you know i've kind of i've kind of started you know opening my mind to reading those types of stories you're coming and, around. And right? I was, well, I don't want to say coming around, but <laughs> I was, uh, I had absolutely no idea what the point man and the long man was about. Mm-hmm. And I thought, but I like Steve's stuff, so I'm going to read it. And so, yeah, a- you know, there's some crazy, crazy magic stuff that happens in the first half of this book. So anyway, I'm, I'm not turned off by it. I'm excited to finish it and then jump in the long man. And then knowing that, that there are two more, I think is great. I, I'm just, I love continuing stories that's why i'm a huge that's why i'm a huge uh lost fan because that season Mm -hmm. those seasons build on each other um those six indiana jones novels uh rob mcgregor is the author it just came to me um each of those books built on the previous one so i love continuity and uh now i know you said the long man stands on its own uh, or the point man stands on its own because it was supposed to be a one shot. But does the long man? You can read the long man by itself, like you said. But does it refer to the point man in any form or fashion at all? Oh, absolutely, it does. Yes, because it's the same guy, and so I have to refer back to the to the first book in order to say it's the same guy. Um, but what I but what I tried to do in it was if you hadn't read the point man, and as I say, when I wrote it, I didn't know that that would be possible to do. Uh, I fill in the blanks for you. I mean, you know, at the beginning of at the beginning of the Long Man, um, uh, I tell you everything that you need to know from the first book. Kind of uh, like a kind of like a it, previously on yes. Lost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Previously on Lost, you know that kind of thing. Um, uh, and also, I, I would say, from what you were saying a minute ago. What I've tried to do. I mean, this is definitely a fantasy series, and it's and it's and it's. Um, as it goes, it's definitely about a guy learning, uh, you know, expanding his powers, you know, starting at one point and just expanding from there. Um, but I tried always, again, with no long-term plan, to set it in as in the realest world that I could set it in. I mean, you know, so that the magic, as you've discovered in The Point Man, I mean, it comes from the fact that the Russians were actually doing parapsychological experiments. And so I said, okay, I'm going to have, you know, telekinesis and, and, and move up from there. But it's all, I can, I can stand there with a straight, straight face and say, you know, it's all based on 
reality. Now, as far as I know, the Russians never really perfected it to the level, you know, that uh, we see it in the book. But I've tried from the start to kind of say, if it did exist, how would it work, you know, as opposed to just going, wow, I'm waving my hands around and, and thing, you know, the crimson bands of Sidorak are flying out of them. It's like, uh, you know, I tried to make the magic real. But, I mean, in the end of the, at the end of the day, it is, it is a fantasy book. But I think that might make it easier for, for some people, like yourself, to kind of go, well, all right, I see. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, no, but, I no, mean, that was kind no. of the concept, you know. You're actually correct. I see how this could work. Yeah, you're correct. There's a whole, there's a scene where, where Max is in the van, Valerie Drake is driving, and um, Cornelius is explaining everything to him and he yeah. he talks about gnomes and whatnot and right. all of it all of it made sense it sounded like it made me think oh that what i thought i saw the other day out of the mm-hmm. corner of my eye mm-hmm. it could actually be there you there. know right yeah so it's well done well thank you that's i mean again that's it may or may not be true but hopefully it sounds <laughs> you know, Stephen, on your website, you refer to this as, or you talk about going to Europe and writing the great American novel. And when you right. think about that, they think about, um, they think about like the hardships that 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 you know that someone has to go through, like that great uh, arc that a hero or your protagonist has to go through. I mean, wh- mm-hmm. why why was this your great American novel? Oh well, actually, um, Fred Hembeck. Does that name mean anything yeah. anymore? Oh, yes. I mean, yeah, Fred Hembeck's awesome. All right, he is awesome. He's the guy who, who said that. I basically, after I did the first Batman stuff and, the, and you know, revamped all the DC characters in the Justice League and finished up my time at DC, um, you know, I told people, well, I'm going to drop out of comics now and I'm going to go to Europe and, and write a book. And it was Hembeck who put it in those terms, going to Europe to write the great American novel. <laughs> Um, so I just picked, I just picked up on that, but, uh, uh, I didn't call it the great American novel until after he did, but, uh, uh, but Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, when you, when you think of that, you think about, you know, someone sitting at their typewriter and they're, they're struggling and they're just trying to get the right words. Well, I did, I did that, but, uh, um, no, it was funny because I did, you know, I did go travel around Europe, um, spent five months on the road and ended up in Mallorca for the winter. And that's where I was planning to write the book. And, of course, I didn't have anything to write it with. I mean, I had paper, but, I mean, I didn't have a typewriter. This, I mean, this is before computers. And, and so I had to borrow a typewriter from um, – there was – there actually, we stayed – we lived for the winter in a, in a small, non-touristy town up in the mountains of Mallorca. And it was – it had a sort of an equal mixture of local people and expatriates from all over Europe and one of one of the guys in our village was a a Scottish poet named Reuben Todd and he uh, very kindly loaned me a typewriter um so yeah but then once I got the typewriter then I sat there in my room with my paper trying to put the right word down you know I'm missing uh, out on Europe while you're uh there well, <laughs> I, you know, after five months on the road, and it was it was winter time by that time. It was it was it was fine to be in the Mediterranean. Um, uh, Mallorca has a has a climate pretty much like California. I've discovered. So I mean, whatever you think California is like in the winter, that's 
pretty much what Mallorca's like in the winter. It gotcha. wasn't wasn't too bad, um, but it was all. But it was winter. I mean, so I over the time we were in Mallorca, I went around and explored uh, all aspects of the island because it's it's only an island. There's yeah. only so much there is to see. Uh, but I, you know, I was serious about writing this book, and and um, again back in back in the day. This is just again talking about how reality changes, even though people don't change. Um, there were no computers, and and I know from having become a professional writer in the in the decade before that, um, I started out with the idea that I would write something, type it all, and then I would go back and do a final draft. Well, if you're going to write four books a month every month you better learn to sort of make the first draft the final draft, you know, figure out what it is you want to say and then put it down and be done with it. And I was good at that. I mean, and again, I wasn't unique. I think anybody who worked in that, you know, did a lot of writing back in the typewriter days, because if you wanted to change it, you had to type it again, you know. I mean, it was like it was two times the manual labor to do anything, so much better to get it right the first time. Certainly once computers came along, um, I and I think everybody else sort of learned the concept of you can just sort of throw stuff on the screen and then go back <laughs> and change it later. Um, and and so my my great talent of being able to get it right the first time has has atrophied um, since then. I do. I call it paper. I call it paper mache now. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, I, I mean I think there's benefits to both of them. It's it's um, it's it's a mental discipline, obviously, to be able to see it clearly in your head and put it down directly on paper. On the other hand, particularly in writing about magical stuff, um, uh, you know, I can't, uh, I can't sort of live my day-to-day life in the space that Max August is in. So um, I, will, I will take my best shot at, at describing something indescribable or, you know, explaining how magic works or whatever. But I'm awful glad that I get to go back later and, you know, and, and smooth it and tighten it and add to it and subtract from it and do whatever I do to make it as coherent as possible on your end. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just different, but I don't know that one's better than the other. It's like, it's like you know, people ask, well, Marvel style or DC style. I mean, it's like you can make either one work. It's just a different... Uh, approach um i wanted to ask uh, the point man the, the title point the point man. man refers to something specific of which i right um i'm wondering if does the long man also no not not the same way the point man is because uh in uh army units uh if you're in a hostile situation, it's quite common to send one guy out in front. It's not he's not just the sacrificial lamb. He's supposed to be the scout, basically. He's he's the, right. you know the Indian who's out there looking out ahead of time. Um, that's the point man. He's out on the point. Uh, and Max August had been that in the Vietnam War, uh, which was the war of his uh, original time. Um, and again, there was no thought about making this a series, so I thought this guy who's out there by himself ahead of everybody else seems like a good metaphor for what's going on with him in that book. Um, 
when I decided to do it as a series, uh, then I thought, you know, I mean, you can do a series where you call the next one, you know, Tuesday in Abilene or something, and it just happens to be the next book of the of the series. But I I tried to think of uh, how to continue it, and and in dimensions, the point has zero dimensions, and the next thing after that is the line, which has one dimension of length. Um, and then comes the plane, and then comes the height, and then you know, I mean, and then you're out of dimensions. <laughs> so, so if you get up to like um, six, like, eight books in the well, series, it'll be the Tesseract Man. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, so that was kind of my idea. I thought, well, all right, well, I can just sort of name each book after uh, after a, an ongoing dimension. But so, as I just said, the next thing after the point is the line. But when I thought of the Line Man. I figured it sounded like either a football player or a telephone repairman, <laughs> neither of which, neither of which did much for me. So uh, I made it the Long Man, um, which you know accurately describes a guy who's immortal, but but is close enough to line that I could get away with it. And so that's kind of where I'm going with the titles now. I mean, the next one after this is the Plain Man, but it's P L A I N rather than P L A N E. Um, oh, wow which is the two dimensions, and the one after that is the box man. Um, I tried many different uh, approaches to that, the cube man, and people did, you know, people did suggest I had a, again, I have an email uh, mailing list, and um, and anybody who wants to be on it can, can drop me in, an email and say they want to be on it, and there you go. But it's just sort of, you know, when I've got something to talk about, I talk about it on that list, and and. You know, I said I'm having trouble coming up with something for the third dimension here, and and uh, people, you know, they tried the pyramid man, the deep man, uh, and people picked up on, you know, I mean, they, they didn't pick up. I was, I mean, it was obvious by that point that I was doing the dimensions, and people were talking about the tesseract man and the and the uh, Sierpinski man. I think I don't even remember, wow. but there's some, you know, I mean, there's. I don't think I'm going to use the Sierpinski man, but but. Uh, um, I do know, I mean, you know, the, actually, after the third dimension, everybody pretty much agrees the next one is time, you know, so the the one after that is called the clock man. Um, they all have to be short words, <laughs> because, because... Yeah, you couldn't exactly uh, use the dodecahedron man. Right, or the well, Fibonacci sequence man. Wow. Well, you never know by the time I get out there to the 12th book, maybe, but... Um, uh, Tor, you know, Tor did the cover design, and they and uh, the title goes on the spine of the book, and so it has to be something that'll fit on the spine of the book. And, okay. And uh, okay. so, I mean, you know, if I, I uh, if I went to them and said I absolutely have to call the next book the Tesseract Man, I'm sure we'd figure out how to do it. Okay. But, but so far, I'm keeping the words uh, short. Well, um, I'm looking at the. The spines right now, and I notice your name takes up most of the real estate on the spine. You well, could good. always make it much yeah. smaller. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, like, I'm kidding. Well, no, like most people, I mean, I think that uh, um, I know uh, this is something my granddad kind of clued me into, but you follow an author, and it almost doesn't matter what they write. Right. I mean, right. And, and so, you know, if I'm going to a bookstore, I'm looking for Frank Herbert or Stephen R. Donaldson. Or Steve Englehart. Yeah, I'm that, I'm that, and, I'm that and way I, with Peter David. Yeah. I don't look for And I see Steve Englehart, yeah. you know, there on that spine. And I go, oh, cool, man. Is uh, there anything in there I don't already have? Right. And then you snag it. Yeah. I'll you enjoy it. I'll read it. Well, that was. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, I was just going to say um, that was not my decision. That was, you know, that was the designer's decision. I mean, basically, 
not to put too fine a point on it, but they said a lot of people know who Steve Englehart is, so let's put his name big on this thing, you know. Um, I think if I'd been designing it, I wouldn't have put the name quite so big, but I, but I do understand the concept, and, and uh, <laughs> it's basically the concept you just said, you know. I mean, if sure. people, people do tend to read uh, by author rather than anything else, so making the author's name bigger than the title any authors Probably you're really digging right sense. now? Yeah, who who are some of your favorite authors? Mine? Yeah, yes, who sir. are you following right now? Um, I actually, I'm a big mystery fan. I mean, it's funny because I write, you know, sci, science, well, not science fiction, I'd say more fantasy, but I write fantasy on one level or another in pretty much everything I do, and yet what I like to read, maybe it's the same way, you know, baseball players like to go play golf or something. I mean, I I like to read mysteries. And so I'm I'm real big on Ian Rankin. I don't know if you have heard of Ian Rankin. He's he writes Scottish. He's a Scottish guy, and he writes um, about a about a police detective in Edinburgh. Um, not to be confused with uh, M. C. Beaton, who writes about a, a constable in a small Scottish village, Hamish Macbeth. Um, but well, I, I like Lee Child, and I like um, Stephen Hunter. Uh, both of whom write more thrillers than um, than mysteries, but it's that's the kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I don't really read science fiction. I mean, I'm reading some Zelazny right now, but it, but I don't generally sort of tend toward science fiction so much you as don't I want do to take your work home. How long does it take you to uh, get through a book? I mean, could, are you the type of person that could polish them off in a couple three days? Um. Uh, Maybe if that's all I did, but okay. I tend to read them in snatches. I mean, I I will sit down and and read, you know, half an hour, an hour, two hours sometimes if I've got the two hours, which okay. I don't often have. But uh, um, I they're basically they fit into my life however they fit in. I I read, you know, when I've got the free time, I do read sort of insatiably, but. Um, I don't, I don't have free time all the time, you yeah. know. So I mean, I read it in sections. I'm what you. about you? Well, I mean, for me, uh, the the novel in my life is usually uh, on the bedside stand. It's something that I read before I go right. to bed. And you know, right. if I'm lucky, I actually stay awake for 45 minutes or an hour and knock out 30, 40, 50 pages. Um, mm-hmm. It's also something you take to uh, you know the DMV when you're getting your license renewed. You know, right. you're standing in line yep. for a half hour. Yep. Yep. So I, it's odd. I, I usually throw the book in the back seat of my car, and I rarely get a chance to read it. So it might take me literally months to get through a book, and it's aggravating because I want to get through it. Um, but you know, like you said, it's it's how you parcel your time up. I, I, like you, I read all the time. Uh, it's just during the daylight hours. It's usually periodicals of some sort, whether it's the 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 morning newspaper or this week's comic yeah. books or a sporting news or a Wired magazine or whatever you have. I tend right. to. Right? No, I I hear you. Yeah. I tend I think to read I get books. Them. Go ahead, Steve. No, I I tend to get through books faster than months, but I but it's the same deal that during the daylight hours I've got other things to read. I I do read books during the daylight hours, but I definitely also do read them before I go to bed, you know. Too cool. Yeah, too cool. I like it when I'm unexpectedly sick because okay. like you know I get to stay home from work. I wasn't you know, expecting I'll, that. Well, I'll pick up either the novel that I'm in the middle of yeah. or the long run of comics that I've set aside. Oh man. You know, and I'll just sit there and read all day, which is awesome, you know. I tend to read either novels or trades or you know a, like i said a stack of 
you know, uh, the the last several wasteland, you know, yes. issues of wasteland. I'll I tend to just read like people chain smoke. You know, I'm a chain reader. <laughs> I'm never not reading. That's a smartphone okay. help that too. In fact, I uh, I was able to, uh, thanks to the the miracle of the smartphone and uh, and your kind largesse, uh, I was able to read uh, the first. Um, not exactly sure because it doesn't translate exactly into the uh, the, the BlackBerry Storm, um, but uh, I got to read the first twenty uh, some odd pages of uh, of your book um, that uh, Brad had been kind enough to forward to me. So it was cool. I, I got a uh, a sense of the writing style, and it certainly got me interested in um, uh, getting through it. Um, again, you know, I've always had a favorable opinion of your work, uh, going back to the good old Doctor Strange days, and so you know, I'm highly inclined to uh, to, to give this a uh, ride. Um, I, I found it interesting your um, uh, the style uh, that you wrote. Would you would you assign a style to your your writing of uh, this or these novels? I mean, it, it felt. I, I, I'm I'm having a hard time, and I was talking to Brad uh, and Frank about this before we uh, went up. Um, I was having a hard time assigning a style, and I don't know that you want to pigeonhole you know yourself by saying all oh, this is fantasy, this is sci-fi, but it felt almost um, almost pulpy to me um, in the mm. way it came across, uh, which which was a compliment. Um, uh, and again, you know, I haven't uh, unfortunately gotten deep enough into it to really you know get sunk into the meat. I've basically just teased myself to this point. Right. No, I think you know. I think if I had. If I had to label my style, really, at this point, I would say it's my style. You know, it's whatever I do that 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 I've been doing for a while. Um, I think pulp is in there definitely. Um, you know, the kind of um, and it doesn't feel like a Mickey Spillane novel, but it just it kind of no. I don't know maybe hard boiled is a, a, another way to peripherally attack this labeling. And, and you know, again, I, I, you know, it's not my intent to, you know, pigeonhole, you know, your style no, in any way. Cool. Because I, I agree with you. Um, it, your style uh, does seem, um, it's it's not something that I'm used to reading. Um, uh, the first couple pages, uh, they kind of opened my eyes just because it was not the the syntax, the the rhythm, you know, that I was expecting and um you know not that it was a learned behavior um and uh interesting yeah. enough i would not say uh, uh you know anyway i just i just thought it was uh, really interesting and i it makes me wonder um how conscious was the style i mean is this just how the words come out of your head um or was this a very carefully crafted uh design uh word design of yours uh you know how how do you uh respond to that um, I would say it's 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 pretty much the words that come out of my head. I, um, you know, what I sort of learned to do in comics was uh, do characters that already existed, um, and what I tried to do was do them right. You know, I mean, I tried to not. I didn't want to do Steve Englehart's Captain America. I wanted to do Captain America. But that being said, um, I wanted my Captain America and everything else to be, you know, to have some style to it that wasn't just, um, you know, imitating Stan Lee or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. I developed, you know, I developed uh, whatever style I have of 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 trying to be true to the character, but also 
trying to not just go down the same paths that have been gone down before. So I tend, you know, my word choices tend to be a little eccentric sometimes, you know. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to obviously, I'm trying to convey something clearly, but I'm trying not to do it in cliches, shall we say. So, um, uh, and that, and that by now is, is just the way I write. I mean, what I had to do, um, you know, for this, to write novels, I, when I first started doing novels, I thought it's just, you know, it's that much longer than a comic book. But what I didn't really understand when I started was it's that much longer, but it's also that much wider and that much taller. It's, a, it's you know, it forms a matrix between all the elements in it. And, and if you start throwing in a whole lot more elements, there are going to be a whole lot more connections, which are going to take up a whole lot more space than you, you know, I mean, you only, you only can do so much um, in a comic and, and, and God knows if I were doing it today, I'd be doing even less <laughs> than I used to, um, the way comics have evolved. But um, uh, with the novel, since it got longer and, and more complex, um, there was, you know, there was thinking involved, certainly, and, and you know, how do I hold all these elements uh, together and, 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 you know, not have the whole thing come out unbalanced or unfinished or or whatever uh but in terms of uh, word choices that's pretty much you know that's i mean again i'm doing different characters i mean not everybody sounds the same but yeah. but but uh, you know it's not a calculated style i'll put it that way cool good yeah um i also wonder um uh how much uh uh how many you 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 kind of alluded to the fact that um, the idea is to basically write the final version, you know, the first time out. And uh, I wonder, you know, how much of the editing process uh, there is now. And maybe this leads into how your writing style has evolved or changed um, uh, the mechanics of sitting down and writing a book um, since 1981. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. we've established, you know, we didn't have word processors and computers back then. You're typing stuff out. Um, these days... Uh, uh, are you taking advantage of the advantage of the, the new methodologies, and uh, you know, have you have you spent any time immersing yourself in any particular subjects to prepare yourself for writing, you know, this novel? Any any things you do to get in a different mindset? Uh, oh yeah, I mean, you know, to write about, um, I mean, writing about a guy who just a guy who was alive at a contemporary time, not, I don't need to do a whole lot of preparation for that kind of stuff, because I are one, you know, but, but, uh, uh, in, in writing about Cornelius Agrippa, who comes from, you know, the 16th century, um, and had his worldview formed by the 16th century, um, uh, and had, very distinct magical methods that he used and so forth. I mean, whenever I get involved with him, uh, which was in the first book, he's, he's not in the later books, but, uh, I mean, in that case, I had to go do research on him, you know, who he was. I mean, I wanted to get him right, as I say, 
and at the same time I needed to learn how it was that he did magic and what it was he was trying to accomplish. Um, I've got the villains in the new books are basically the guys who are, you know, behind the news. Uh, I mean, the, the people who, no matter who you elect president, no matter what you do, somehow it seems like the wars continue and the and the bankers get rich and and so on and so forth. Um, so I I want to play with the guys who who are up at that level and. You know, since I am not one of them, um, I've got to do the research on you know what's actually happening. You know, how does it happen? How you know how does how do things get shoved uh, into law and so forth? I mean, so anything that I mean, and that's always been true. I mean, you know, if I if if somebody says, okay, now you're going to start writing Green Lantern, you know, I got to go research Green Lantern. It's it's the I mean, in any comic character i basically knew whoever they were but but you know if i'm gonna if i'm gonna be the guy i've got to go you know learn everything there is to know about them so um doing research has never been um a problem or you know anything that i objected to uh again what i wanted to do was get the character right whatever that might mean so i had to know had to know what right appeared to be to me so, so Steve, when you go back to a character like Batman, and it's been so many years, mm. are you giving? First of all, I imagine you get some type of, of dictation from uh, from like DC, and they say, "Hey, we want you to, uh, we want Batman to go in this direction, or we want the story to go in this direction." I, I imagine is that part of it, or do they let you have free reign? Um, as far as the Batman goes, they let me have free reign. Okay. Um, uh. You know, they just said we want more. You know, when they came to Marshall and me five years ago, whatever it was, they said, uh, you know, we want more of what you did last time. You know, I mean, and and after that, um, I got to do whatever I wanted to do. Um, but uh, now, is that you something know, you earn? I think so. Well. It's an interesting question because, yeah, I mean, you earn it by showing that things work out well when you do that, but you lose it as bureaucracy grows. Oh, wow. um, you know, I mean, as the as as back in the day, you know, they said to me and and Steve Gerber and everybody else, I mean, they said these are your books, do whatever you want to with them. If, if you can turn them in on time and make them sell, you can keep doing them. If you can't do either one of those, we'll get somebody who can and we'll fire you. Um, and so, I mean, I know a lot of people these days are just agog that, that Marvel Comics would just hand me somebody like Captain America or the Hulk or whatever and say, do whatever you want to do. But that's what they did. Um, and... You know, and that's now the Bronze Age. I mean, that's uh, that seems to have worked out just fine. But as the companies got bigger, um, DC was always more corporate than Marvel, but Marvel's caught up. Um, now you have more layers of editorial. And, I mean, it's true in any job. Whatever job anybody listening to this has, if you think about it, you know, everybody's got to justify his position. And so... Um, as the company gets bigger and they hire more editors, then the editors each have to justify what they're doing and they have to fit into <laughs> things. So, um, I mean, uh, I did a, a, a 
miniseries called Big Town for Marvel in the early, you know, 2000s, which was totally screwed up <laughs> by the editorial people at really? Marvel. Really? And it was, oh yeah, and it like, was how was it? How was it screwed up? Because these are always the fun stories. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I had again. I was doing stuff that was like. I was doing all the characters right, but I was doing them in a kind of offbeat way, and and apparently it was, it confused. I don't even have to get into who, but it, it, okay, it yeah. confused, it confused somebody high up in the Marvel thing, and so he fixed it, <laughs> and <laughs> wow, and moved pages around and rewrote some dialogue, and it, and all of a sudden the story you know didn't make any sense as published, um, and. So what was explained to me was that uh, in Marvel in like 2002 or 2003, whenever that was, and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not speaking about how it is now because I don't know, but yeah. um, um, there was your editor. I mean, there there had always been an editor. Uh, yes. You know, I had always had an editor, um, and there had also always been an editor in chief. But again, their function was basically to, you know, to traffic whatever it is that the us writers and you know people came up with. Uh, but now, what was explained to me was, there's your editor who's got a pass on what it is that you're doing. There is another of an of an equal level editor who's got to look it over. There is the continuity editor who's got to look it over in terms of how does it fit into the overall universe. And then there's the editor-in-chief who now does get involved. So there were four levels of of people who could say, "Well, why don't you change this, or why don't we do that, or you know, whatever." Um, that you know, the stuff that I did and continue to do now in books is basically, you know, my imagination with a with a with a non calculated style, just you know, put out there as best I can do it. You know, trying to trying to do the best thing I can do. Um, but in the last couple of years that I was hanging around the big two, I mean, there was all this editorial interference. And so to answer your original question, people started saying, well, yes, you used to be able to do this and it's all, you know, it's all good, but now we have a new system. And so okay. now you have to, you know, now you have to fit into the system. And, and again, I'm not, uh, I'm not. A prima donna. I mean, I tried to fit into the system, but I just I didn't like the results. I didn't feel that uh, you know that the stuff that was coming out was uh, as good as it could be. Um, and you know, all in all, it it seemed like the the comics that I found really interesting were not um, as easy to come by. Okay. anymore so i you thought know, i'll go do something else you know you know if i could relate with you for for just a moment um mm. in my current job i come across that quite a bit in that you where you mm-hmm. have you yeah. create something and you you know you pitch it and and you just feel so good about it and then someone will come along and just kind of they'll have to change it and you change. just feel so strongly about it and and it's mm-hmm. and it's um you know and you, and you really do think it's the right decision but in the end that's yeah. it's the editor's well, it's the editor's uh, decision, or, one of the, or it's the person higher up's decision. Yeah, one of the big problems of that right. is that this is all subjective. You know, there's clearly yeah. no right or wrong answer. It's just, you know, why is your opinion more valid than my opinion? I'm the one that's lived with this for the last, you know, 20 and that's, years. And that's what it is. You live with it. You live with it for just for that that amount of time, and you 
you that's why you yeah. believe that well, this is how it has to be. Clearly they just <laughs> And then someone comes in and they kinda go, ah, well move that. Do that. Well, and, and there should be some professional pride. I mean, you know, if you didn't care, you Frank, or if you didn't care or any, uh, Steve, uh, anybody, you know, anyway, then yeah. I, I would be surprised by that. Right. I think that's all true. And, and again, uh, you know, I don't know what, what job you have. but, but oh, I'm a video producer. Okay. Well, I, and I don't know how long you've been doing it. But, but, uh, but the only point I'm trying to make here, and, I mean, feel free to come back and answer all those questions. Frank but, is but, a grizzled uh, vet, by the way. <laughs> there you go. I've been doing it for a while, so. But... Uh, you know, nobody's right all the time, and, and, you know, editors are good for sounding boards. And I mean, there's there's nothing, it's not anything intrinsically wrong. But when you've done it and it's worked, and then people who haven't done it come in and go, well, my opinion is we should do something else. Um, I mean, you know, at that point you can sort of say, well, this one thing has been proven to work, and so that that seems like a better idea, but... Then you get into the politics. Can you say that to the guy who's in charge? And it's like, so, and all yeah, that, in all. That, that, that's that, a good that, word for you know. politics. That's a, that's a yeah. very good word for it. Steve. Well, there's always politics. I mean, yeah, any office has politics. Any office. There's always people, you know. Uh, Steve, I'm right all the time. That was your question? Okay. No, I'm just, <laughs> you know, you said, I'm just trying to be funny. <laughs> Come on. Right. Well, hey, throw the laugh track in a post. It'll work out great for you. Um, uh, Steve, are you familiar with uh, Twitter? Yeah, sure. Do you have a Twitter? I do not. Okay. You don't tweet? Um, I don't tweet. I don't have a Facebook. Hey, I'm, hey. I'm aware of all this stuff, and people have said, oh, well, you should have them because they're good marketing tools. But, again, I've only got so much time, and, and uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm not against them. I just don't do them. You know? uh, Half Hour Wasted has a, a Twitter, and I, earlier I tweeted uh, – Something to the effect that uh, we were gearing up for an interview with Steve Englehart, and uh, one of our followers said, "Hey, if you have time, ask him about Nomad and his cap run." Okay. And uh, Frank said something earlier about it. Yeah, that's uh, that was the run where um, Captain America, Steve Rogers, just kind of lost, um, kind kind of lost. And correct me when when I'm wrong, but but kind of lost the American ideal, and he wanted to punch Nixon in the face. Wasn't that what happened? <laughs> what? Well, that's a loose paraphrasation. But I mean, it's <laughs> loose, but it's good, right? I mean, you were right. Was there punching of Nixon's face? I can't remember. Oh, that, that no, he didn't. No. Okay. No, there wasn't. He he went in. I don't think there was. I can't remember now whether he actually hit the guy or not. Um, that doesn't the, sound like know. Steve Rogers. You know, he may get so angry, but. I don't think he would go so far as to punch the president of the United States. Or be oh, well, he didn't, you know, if he, did, he did, if he did, he didn't know it was the president because he was disguised. The, the the guy who turned out to be the president was disguised at the time. That's and I can't remember okay. whether whether he hit him or not. But uh, this was the Watergate. This was you know I, this is uh, you know Watergate happened. The president of the United States was was caught arranging for a burglary of the Democratic headquarters. Yep. He denied it. It went on and on, but it, you know, it played out like a giant soap opera in America. I mean, there were video hearings, every television hearings every day. Uh, it was like a great mystery novel, in that they, you know, the two sides would fight back and forth, and it, 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 it was a, you know, it was a big deal. And it's interesting. I mean, it was a big deal about a burglary, and now we've had, you know, wars in Iraq and yeah. and all sorts yeah. of stuff that, that that sort of puts that in the shade. But but. It was a big deal, and I couldn't understand how Captain America could be living theoretically in America 
Hey, Steve, are you still there? No, we dropped his call. It okay. Just ended. Son of a gun. Well, we're going to uh, pause for just a moment while we get Steve back on the air. Okay, well, we're going to stop it right there. Uh, this will be a two-parter, guys. Yeah, tune in next week for the second part of the interview with Steve Englehart. It's really entertaining. We're going to talk about some great stuff, and uh, and just be sure to tune in next week. Brad, you got something? Yeah, when I um, during spring break, um, I went on a small uh, trip with uh, my younger daughter and my uncle yes. and, and his kids. To the motherland. To Oklahoma. <laughs> and we went. To the Toy and Action Figure Museum in Paul's oh, Valley, really Oklahoma. Did. Yeah. I've driven you, by you that know, place about, dozens of about times. Three months ago, I came about that close to going. You guys need to go. Really? There. Uh, and for those of you uh, listening, you can go to actionfiguremuseum.com. It was phenomenal. Really? It was awesome. And uh, <clears throat> I just, you know, you can see pictures on that website, but it was awesome. I got a shirt, and uh, uh, the guy, the owner, uh, apparently he was selling some of his old comics out front. Okay, you right. know, with some of the souvenirs. So I just picked up a little something for you guys. Uh, Bill, the Fury of Firestorm, uh, number forty-one, special crisis crossover. Oh, no look way! With Harbinger on the cover. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, for Frank, uh, Power Man and Iron Fist, number eighty-seven, with my boy <laughs> Moon Knight. In it. Oh, that is there good we go. Stuff. Thank you. I used to. Uh, I I've collected. Uh, I, I did not get up to issue 41, so this is a new one on me, but uh, Firestorm was one of those titles that I really dug when I was a youngin. I love that Luke Cage's shirt is ripped off. Right, Look it at that. Is. Oh, man. Read the, read the text on the front. It, uh, uh, it's, it's Power Man and Iron Fist, but then um, um, uh, Black, uh, Moon Knight's kind of head deep in water, and in the wall it says, they may be too late for Moon Knight. Which the I toy. don't know what that's in reference to, but still, that's cool. Yeah, I don't know. Toy and Action Figure Museum. Uh, actionfiguremuseum.com. How much to get in? Is it free? No. Jerks. Um, no, it's it's okay. Let me see. Oh, how no, cool. it, was, it was cheap to get in. It's like man. five bucks, ten bucks? Yeah, it was, it was hardly anything. Um, Kevin Stark is the museum curator and the owner of all this stuff. Okay. It's it's awesome. If is I personal collection of his, I'm guessing? I think it is. Okay. Yeah. And um, I I took a bunch of pictures, and uh, I'll I'll see if I can't post them in this thread. Nice for this episode. So maybe we should get them on the show one day. Talk about it. That would be awesome. Smells good, doesn't it? it smells like an old comic like book shoot. Yeah, I love yeah. that. <laughs> Mine was written by the great Jerry Conway, so I'm quite thrilled oh, about yeah, that. Let me see. I didn't even look at that. Who wrote this one? And then one other thing I wanted Daniel to mention Neal. before we close out. Uh, by the way, his uh, pseudonym was is Lenny O'Deal. Lenny O'Deal. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the pseudonym thing I think we oh talked about gosh. in the second part of our Steve Englehart. Yeah. So they'll hear that next week. I just looked at a couple of the pictures online, uh, com. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? And you know what? I just I saw it says, another view of the bedroom diorama. And you know what? I'm going to stop right there because I've got to see this in person. Yeah, it's it's incredible. So for all those who love comic books, make that pilgrimage to the Mecca comic books. Paul's Valley. Paul's Valley. It's right Oklahoma. off I-35. Yeah. It's about, um, uh, it's about 40, about, it's a half hour south of Norman, about an hour south mm -hmm. of Oklahoma City, about two hours north of Dallas. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then um, the other thing I wanted to point out. Um, and it's on the NAFTA highway, so that's, that's, that's good. Sorry, just trying to draw some politics back into it. Oh, okay. Um, I know we, we mentioned them at the beginning 
Uh, we we want to mention before we go the long man and the point man, Steve Englehart. Uh, you can get those Amazon borders, yeah, um, and uh, Barnes and Noble, whatnot. Then yep. the only other thing I wanted to point out, remember last week we talked about Aquatine Hunger Force Live? Yes. Um, I did get confirmation that I will be back on the 16th. Okay. So uh, I was looking at that website. Yes. And Frank in the in the show said that they were going to be in Austin the next day. Right. Okay. It's actually Houston the next day. Oh, okay. And Austin on the 17th. Oh. So. That's even better. I bought two tickets. Let's say mm-hmm. Austin is cooler and closer. For Austin the 17th. And I called Russell Latham and Perfect. said, "You oh, like Aqua Team, don't you?" And he said, "Yes." I told him, "So we're gonna, I'm gonna it's a great m- match. I'm gonna meet uh, Russell on the 17th and get to get to see the show. So I'm very excited. So there you that go. is cool. So that that leaves a third ticket, you know. Okay, for, so it's um, official. Good point. It is official. If somebody wants that that ticket, I don't care where you live. If you want to drive to Dallas yeah. and hang out with um, Bill and Frank, Frank and Bill. Um, we'll or show Bill you a good Frank. time. Yeah, uh, we'll show you a good time. We'll send take us, you to uh, send us an email. Trust me, it's Frank and Bill. We have a. We could take you to the mall. Yeah, yeah. Kind of hang out there. Maybe. Um, hey, we'll throw a cheeseburger down the throat. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe if we feel like yeah. it. We could point you in the direction of a good cheeseburger. That's yeah. April fifteenth. There's this place called McDonald's that uh, they're pretty okay. Yeah, that's. Uh, I heard they use those little mom and pops we got here. I heard in they Dallas. use real white meat chicken stuff. now. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't know what they were using before, but. And that's the House of Blues here, isn't it? Yes, House of Blues, April fifteenth, okay. uh, seven p.m. The doors open. House of Blues is a cool it's a location, Thursday evening. by the way. Thursday evening, so um, okay. that that third ticket's up for grabs. Brad at halfhourwasted Let me know if you want it. All right. Nice. Well, with that, let's uh, let's bring up that music. I'm looking for it. Right. Here it is, right here. It's in there somewhere. Thank you for listening to a half hour wasted. Be sure to check out the Legion of Dudes podcast comes out every Thursday in this same feed. We also have extended editions and a new podcast. Um, Speak of the Devil. Speak of the Devil with, uh, with our guy, Johnny M. Which, by the way, real quick, Johnny yeah. M., thank you for that sound effect. You helped me at work the other day. Sure did. Yeah. Uh, visit our website, halfhourwasted.com. Check out our blogs, forum, photos, and more. Send questions and comments to halfhourwasted at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 972-798-3830. You'll also be able to drop us, or you can drop us an individual email at Brad, especially if you want that ticket, Frank or Bill at halfhourwaste.com. Visit our sponsor, DCBS. Tune in next week for the second part of the Steve Englehart uh, interview. Until then, um, hey, I'm Bill. I'm Brad. And I'm Frank, and we'll see you next time on A Half Hour Waste. That kind of surprised me there. Blue back.